You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. Welcome to episode 5 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the 1980s Marvel Comics series, The Nom. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. This time out, I'll be taking a look at issue number 5 of The Nom, which came out on January 6, 1987, and was cover dated April 1987, which means that the Marvel logo in the box in the upper left-hand corner of the cover is no longer the 25th anniversary celebration logo, but the italicized, all caps, Marvel. Uh, still 75 cents, though. I'll be also taking a look at the letter column, the ads, which will be providing a decent amount of background and historical context as to this particular month of the Vietnam War, which is June of 66, specifically around June 13, 1966, which is when the story begins. The song at the beginning of the episode, Painted Black by the Rolling Stones, was number one on the Billboard Hot 100 on June 18, 1966, and is also used in the opening of Stanley Kubrick's film Full Metal Jacket, which is one of the more famous movies from the 1980s about the Vietnam War. Humpin' the Boonies was written by Doug Murray, penciled by Michael Golden, inked by John Beatty. Phil Felix was on Letters and Colors. Larry Hama was the editor. Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief. The cover, which is by Golden, shows Ed Marks, Rob, and the radio guy, Thomas, standing in front of three poles that have dead Vietnamese villagers tied to them. All three of the men are upset at the site. And once again, this is an image we will see in the book. The story begins with Rob and Marks leading a patrol through the boonies on the 13th of June, 1966. Thomas, who's been in this book before and has basically been a one-night, one-note guy, he's the radio operator and a complete klutz, so he's pretty much shown falling flat on his face all the time, lights a cigarette. The guys proceed through some grassland, and Thomas almost gets killed by a VC hiding in the grass. Marks gets him, and, and while the guys do give Marks some grief for almost cursing, <laughs> Thomas does thank him. Back at headquarters, Sarge is pacing around Top's office waiting for him to arrive. Top comes in having had his fingers bandaged as a result of recent combat injury. And we see that he's got a new clerk, Hale, who is a much better typist than Rob and is replacing Rob because Rob got a promotion to Buck Sergeant and is now out in the field. Top's ticked off that Sarge sent Rob into the field behind his back, but Sarge tells him to tell it to the lieutenant and storms out of his office, slamming the door behind him. Top then decides to give Hale a proper introduction to how things work around here. Back in the boonies, the guys camp out and talk about how Bergo is on leave and he's due back any day. They say that they're going to head into the nearby village in the morning since it should be a pretty friendly area and they shouldn't give them any problems. But what they do find that next morning is brutal. Many of the villagers have been slaughtered, and several have been tied to posts and had their throats slit in a barbaric execution. Marks is horrified. Rob throws up at the site, and they decide to cut down the bodies and bury them properly. 
Back at headquarters, some new troops arrive just as Sarge is storming out. Three of the guys don't know what to make of it, and the fourth one stays pretty cool. They go to see Top, and he gives the guys the usual line about a special assignment request. The cool one refuses to, to bribe Top, and he then Top decides to dump him off on Sarge, and Hale looks on suspiciously. In the boonies, the guys successfully ford a river, which is unlike any time I ever tried to ford a river in Oregon Trail, and find a huge VC camp that is full of the men who are responsible for the slaughter in the village. There are too many men there for them to take on by themselves, so they have Thomas try to radio in for some sort of fire. Thomas manages to get a nearby artillery station on the horn, and they shell the camp. Mission successful, the guys radio back to HQ for a chopper. Top refuses, telling them they'll have to walk back because it'll give them time to think. The guys start humping it once again. Sarge confronts Top about his extraction or lack thereof. Top gives him some line about he's not spending taxpayer money dollars on that. Sarge acquiesces and then heads back to the barracks where he talks to the new guy, that guy who was very calm earlier who had turned down the bribe, Ramnarain, and he asks him for a favor. The guys are still out in the boonies and make camp for the night. The next morning, they come upon a highway and convoy who pick them up. At HQ, Ramnarain goes to see Top and tells him that perhaps he was a little bit hasty earlier, and he presents him with the bribe. Top takes it. On the highway in the boonies, the convoy continues on, but one of the tanks in the front is hit with a VC rocket. The guys spill out of an APC and counterattack, taking out the ambush and clearing the road. They eventually get home, and Marks heads to the mess hall where everyone can tell he's been out in the bush, well, because he reeks. And Rob heads to see Sarge. Marks meets the three of the recruits, meets three of the recruits from earlier, Santos, Mills, and Marchese. Or Marchese. Ramnarain isn't with them, but they... They're the new blood. Marx introduces himself, and then Rob tells him that Sarge wants them to see Top, but after they've met Albergo, who's arriving on a helicopter. Albergo arrives in typical fashion. He's wearing a grass skirt, Hawaiian shirt, and a lay. He's got stories he'd love to tell, man. They have to wait, though, as the guys have to go see Top. As they head into the office, they notice an MP Jeep parked outside, and when they get inside, they come into the middle of, well, Top being arrested. It seems that Hale was basically internal affairs, and he was working undercover as a way to see if the rumors regarding Top were true. Top's arrested and taken away while the guys look on. Top's arrested. The car is impounded. There's no way to be avoid being grounded. Okay, um, last time around I was talking about how Golden does a good job of conveying the brutality of what happened in that village without it being absolutely gory or disgusting. The figures are in shadows. Bits of their faces are shown, and we see flies, things like flies buzzing around them. Plus, we get the characters' reactions. That's frankly enough. I get the gravity of it all. I personally found myself rooting for the guys when they stumbled upon the VC camp and were able to get the artillery fire to blow it up. Furthermore, this is a great scene in the book because the VC camp is huge, and Marks, and as Marks repeatedly notes, the guys in the camp are surprisingly relaxed. Rob's the one to point out that they're soldiers just like them. It's a bit of understanding of the enemy, maybe a little bit of empathy even, but not sympathy. That's something you don't get a lot of times in very generic action-run stories. Very often the enemy is faceless and nameless and wouldn't have traits that you'd find in common with, say, American GIs. And the VC here, yes, they are faceless and nameless, of course, but the fact that they are as much soldiers as American GIs is, a, is great, because not only does it reveal a little bit of the enemy's humanity, it also reveals a little about the enemy's vulnerability.
you're not getting to know the individual here like you do in some other books or movies, but you're getting to see another weaker side of them, and that's crucial. The Sarge Top subplot comes to a head here, and considering it takes place over a few months, this seems like a very good place to end it. I personally like how Sarge has an inkling that Hale is more than he seems, and he uses that one recruit who had refused the bribe earlier to be bait for the camp. Ramnarain will be a recurring character throughout the comic. He'll be used to pretty good effect. Golden illustrates these scenes very well, especially with funny little bits like the fact that at one point, Sarge slams the door so hard he actually breaks the door to Top's office. It's it's there, because like later in the book, when Sarge comes back, um, it's only there for one panel. And you see the door kind of hanging off its own hinges, a little barely together, and it's kind of worth the chuckle. Also, a couple of character notes here. First, we have some new recruits, which is smart on the part of Murray, because if he's having Marks and Company end their tour around issue 12 or so, then he has to establish new characters way beforehand. The three guys here are green. Ramnarain is definitely more experienced, and like I said, is drawn to have kind of this cool sort of air about him. But I'm curious as to how they're going to integrate into this book. I mean, I've read the books, but it's been a while since I've read this, so this is kind of a reread for me as well. Albergo's return is funny. I like the guy, which is what I think you're supposed to do. You know, he's a likable, fun type of character, and especially in a book like this. He steps off the chopper in true fashion for a guy who's totally the class clown. Plus, a little beat of Mark's smelling like three days in the bush, it's great. Murray and Golden really try to work every detail in, even the more silly. I don't have much to say as a way of criticism of the issue, although I will say that John Beatty probably isn't the best inker for Michael Golden. I don't know if some of this was rushed or what, but you can definitely tell the difference in some of the pages between the art in this issue and the art in previous issues. I think that might have more to do with the inks than the pencils, or maybe Golden was only do it, was, was doing um, a lighter pencil job this time or something like that. And it's just a nitpick, to be honest with you, because the art's still very, very good. And that's it for this issue. When I get back, I'll talk historical context, letters, and ads. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. Don't be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship off. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fans. Lando Calrissian. Star Wars Monthly Mondays, available the first Monday of every month at 2TrueFreaks.com. We would be honored if you would join us. And we are back. Uh, There really, I I looked up, 
you know, and you know I'm like browsing Wikipedia for this, so it's not like I'm doing a whole ton of research and, and I might start getting, and we get into real, uh, real serious events um, months and years down the line, I might do a little bit more research. But it didn't seem like a lot happened in June in terms of the war. In 1966, the bombing of Hanoi and Haiphong began on June 29th, um, and, and that is significant because, you know, it is Hanoi being the capital of North Vietnam and the current capital of Vietnam. Uh, otherwise, you have uh, it domestically. You do have a very important uh, date, which is June 13th, 1966. That's the Miranda decision is made uh, by the Supreme Court, and that is that means that officers now have to advise suspects of their rights when they arrest them. As you know, you have the right to remain silent, what have you. Otherwise, like I said, there's not a whole heck of a lot here. Um, incoming, though, does still have a first letters about a first couple of issues. We have uh, somebody asking if Doug is a vet, uh, uh, if we'll get any more background on each character, if we'll see all the emotional states that some soldiers went in, otherwise, for instance, shell-shocked. We have nom notes in every issue, and they say, uh, Doug is a vet, although he still does considerable research to make sure everything is just so. As to your other questions, yes, we'll discuss character backgrounds, but only occasionally and only as background. We'll try to show the emotional states from the war, and yes, nom notes will continue in every issue. There's, again, more praise for the book being realistic, although one person, uh, Sky, S-K-I, uh, or Ski, Tyrolia from Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, says in his letter, the biggest problem I see is the writing. Now, Doug, I'm not complaining about your writing. I'm complaining about the Marvel Comics way of storytelling. I was hoping we would have a real account of the Vietnam War. I can see the necessity of changing the type of story from an autobiographical nature, from savage tales, to the more standard storytelling approach. But why do we have the gear of the book toward the 12-year-old market? Why do we have to have every slightly bewildering phrase or word explained to us. I wasn't in Vietnam, but I'm not stupid. Neither are most of your readers. Let us use our own resources or imagination to work it out. In the first issue, you said you were going to tone down the language, and I thought that would probably be a good idea. Now I'm not so sure. It seems like you've buried it all together. I feel that this has and will continue to detract from the realism. I'm not asking you to open the expletive valve all the way, but a little trickle surely can't hurt. Come on, Doug, make it real, not, not easily understood. The editors write back, Doug here, uh, Doug writes back, actually. He says, you made some good points, Ski, but your answer, to answer your, your answer to your problems as well. The NAM is just not, is not just aimed at people like you and the vets. It's meant as sort of a primer on the Vietnam War to anyone that will read it, and that includes the kids. I don't think that we've compromised too much to make the book available to our younger readers. In fact, if you want to reason out the jargon we use... You can certainly do it. That's why we put the glossary in the back and don't footnote on the pages. We'll try to keep the storyline as adult and true to life as possible. The few compromises we make will, will not compromise our integrity. Incidentally, if you like the old gang from 5th to the 1st, there'll be, there'll be an appearance by them in the nom number 8. Tell us what you think. Our nom notes, Buck Sergeant is the basic sergeant, a three-striper, the lowest rank of sergeant. A clerk typist is an army, has a name for everything and everybody. A clerk typist is a troop whose function is to act as a secretary for the company. Of course, the army would never use the term secretary, not macho enough by a long shot. Debt cord, explosive primer cord, generally used to prime Bangalore torpedoes and other explosive devices. Troops could also use to chop down trees and clear brush, handier than an axe and easier to carry. Extraction using a helicopter to pull the troops out of the bush. 
Frag, army slang for what essentially is an act of murder. During the war, many NCOs and officers became so intent on gaining rank and glory that they would endanger their men. Fragging was nature's way of telling them they had made a mistake. It was usually accomplished by flipping a hand grenade at ours or theirs into a room which the subject was sleeping. Hump in the boonies, which is the title of the issue. Literally packing a mass of equipment in the bush, usually a reference to long-range patrol with full gear moving through the field. Juice, polar influence, also used to mean bribery or the bribe money itself. 155, slang for 155mm howitzer, a long-range piece of artillery. The 155 could lob a shell in a high arc for considerable distance, although the shells move relatively slowly. Good for long-range cover. Pacified, a villager area that was on our side or one that was full of dead people. The Purple Heart is a decoration given to troops wounded in combat, usually in the line of duty. REMF or REMF, a rude or crude way of describing those gentlemen who stay behind the lines and seldom or never enter the field and was not complimentary. Sack, also sack out, catch some Z's, etc., get some sleep. And Willie Peter, white phosphorus, usually put into grenades or shells, will burn when any exposure to oxygen. Even the oxygen in the water is very nasty stuff and really scary. Okay, ads for this issue. That M&M's ad still running. Uh, Gummy and Pokey are still there. There's an NPC models ad which suggests that if you're a kid building models, you'll get make the girls a swoon. I don't think that actually ever happened, but it's nice to think about. There is an ad for sales leadership club prizes or cash. Sell a bunch of crap and you get prizes or cash. Uh, let's see. A radio-controlled Porsche sold for only 31 items. GEAMFM radio cassette recorder sell only 26 items. Championship soccer ball sell only 11 items. Roscoe chimp puppet. Ooh. That Roscoe is that? Yeah. Still only 14 items. Tasco Telescope with Tripod, 27 items. Why do I have a feeling that these suck? A 10-speed boy's bike if you sell only 89 items. Who's going to buy this crap? That you're, sell you're selling gift wrap, notes, cards, stationery. This is like the type of crap that my son brings home for fundraisers at his school. That it's like way overpriced, and we've kind of felt guilted into buying it. hope he's not listening. He's six probably isn't listening. Uh, what else we got? Comic store adds this issue. Include Another World in Washington, D.C., New England Comics, Marvel Supermart ad with Spider-Man. Above the Marvel Supermart ad, there is an ad. Karate Martial Art Catalog featuring Chuck Norris with free autograph photo. And the kid in the... Th- kid in the... Um, Ad, drawing of a kid in an ad is kicking the word karate. is kind of supposed to look like Ralph Macchio. Centrally Martial Arts Supply Incorporated in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I love the Chuck Norris autographed photo. Uh, in my comic shop, Atlas Comics in Charlottesville, Virginia, there is, they have a copy of Chuck Norris and his Karate Commandos, number one, and it's actually on the wall with like all of the really nice expensive comics and shit. Um, I don't know what they're what it's going for, and, I, and I'm, I was for a while trying to figure out why the heck they would have it, other other than the fact that well, it's Chuck Norris, uh, Steve Ditko, I believe, did the art on at least maybe that, maybe another issue. So that's why uh, that's why it's there. Oh, the eighties. 
there is an ad for the Alien Legion graphic novel. The ins- this the insanity must be stopped dead. The Alien Legion graphic novel by Carl Potts, Alan Zelenets, Frank Sirocho, Terry Austin, and Steve Olaf. And we have an Advanced Dungeons and Dragons uh, ad. Welcome to Basic Training. This ad actually ran for years in comic books because this is in 86, 87, and I could have sworn this ad ran into maybe the early 90s. Uh, it's a guy fighting a red-orange dragon. And on the back, bigger pow, better wham if you're game enough. You're no beginner, blam! You've lived into the battles, crunch! You've conquered the villains, blast! And now you demand more, kapow! And the makers of Marvel Superheroes game are giving it to you. Advanced Marvel Superheroes. If you're game enough, we're game enough. Everything you need to create a full-scale superhero campaign. New combat options, new equipment, new powers, new magic system, new character generation, and new rules. A new advanced role-playing game with some old friends and new villains. This is the new role-playing game. Um, I know I had I, I I've never really got into RPGs. I had the basic set for the DC Heroes game, which I never I played like once and never really got into but loved flipping through the guidebooks and the cards because they were they were pretty fun to flip through the little playing card type of things with stats and the characters and and the the guidebook the map of the DC universe and and what have you it was it was kind of cool so i never played the marvel game though uh and that's about it. Uh, thank you once again. I'll be back in two weeks with issue number six. And until then, have a good night. And I will uh, talk to you next time. I could not foresee this thing happening to you. If I look hard enough into the you have been listening to In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics' The Knob. The NOM and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and as this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes, and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which you can find at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com and may likely be read on the air as I occasionally do email-centric episodes or segments. Thank you for listening and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of The Nam.